All right, Wrestling With Theology fans, this is Pastor Doug Minton standing in the confessional corner with you this week, looking at the second half of the Solid Declaration, Article 1 on Original Sin. We'll be looking at paragraphs 33 through 62 of that document, uh, going through pages 515 to 519 in the Concordia, the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord. And here, as we talked about Last week, with what is original sin, we focus a lot of time this week on the what is the corrupt nature. We have to explain these things, as we saw in the quest, the question that was raised with this, because people can't understand, and it is hard to fathom what it is that makes the difference between the corrupt human nature and the corruption that is original sin. So we start off this week, paragraph 33, remembering what original sin actually is. Original sin is like a spiritual poison and leprosy, as Luther says in volume 7, page 233. It has poisoned and corrupted the whole human nature so that we cannot show and point out to the eye human nature by itself or original sin by itself. Nevertheless, there is the corrupt nature or the essence of the corrupt person, body and soul, the person himself, whom God has created. Original sin dwells in a person. It also corrupts the nature and essence of the entire person. And there is original sin, which dwells in human nature or essence and corrupts it. They are not one and the same thing. For example, in outward leprosy, the body that is leprous and the leprosy on or in the body are not one thing, but properly speaking. But a distinction must also be maintained between our natures as created and preserved by God, in which sin is dwelling, and original sin, which dwells in the nature. These two things can and must be considered, taught, and believed separately according to the Holy Scriptures. So again, Original sin, as the corruption of our nature, and our corrupted nature are two different things. Original sin dwells in a person, but it also corrupts that person so that they are unable to fulfill God's commands by themselves. We pick up in paragraph 34. Furthermore, the chief articles of our Christian faith drive and compel us to pre preserve this distinction. For instance, in the article of creation, Scripture testifies that God has created human nature not only before the fall, but that it is God's creature and work also since the fall. See Deuteronomy 32.6, Isaiah 45.11, 54.5, 64.8, and Revelation 4.11. Job says, Your hands have fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Job 10, 8-12 David says in Psalm 139, 14-16, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none. In Ecclesiastes of Solomon, it is written, And the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12.7 these passages clearly testify that God, even since the fall, is the creator of mankind. 
He creates his body and soul. Therefore, corrupt mankind cannot, without any distinction, be sin itself. Otherwise, God would be the creator of sin. These passages, and we'll go into the small catechism in a moment, remind us that God still creates our human bodies today. Every child that's being knit in the womb, even as I am speaking, is being created by God as his creature, not as sin itself, but as a creature of God infected by sin. So we go on. Our small catechism also confesses this in the explanation of the first article, where it is written that I believe that God has made me and all creatures. He has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still preserves them. Likewise, in the large catechism, it is written, this is what I mean and believe, that I am God's creature. I mean that he has given me and constantly preserves for me my body, soul, and life, my members, great and small, all my senses, reason, and understanding. Nevertheless, this same creature and work of God is sadly corrupted by sin. For the material form which God now forms and makes man was corrupted and perverted in Adam and is thus passed along by inheritance to us. This goes back to the distinction between Genesis chapter 1, which we heard on Trinity Sunday, that God made man in his own image, and Genesis chapter 5 in the genealogy from Adam down to Noah. Adam had a son in his own image, the image that was tainted, corrupted by sin. Here, pious Christian hearts justly ought to consider God's unspeakable goodness. God does not immediately cast from himself this corrupt, perverted, sinful material into hellfire. No, he forms and makes the present human nature from it, which is sadly corrupted by sin, in order that he may cleanse it from all sin, sanctify and save it by his dear son. From this article, the distinction is now clearly and indisputably found. Original sin does not come from God. God is not sin's creator or author, nor is original sin God's creature or work, but it is the devil's work. If there is no difference at all between the nature or essence of our body and soul, which is corrupted by original sin, and original sin, by which the nature is corrupted, one of the following would be true. Because God is the creator of our nature, he also created and made original sin, which would also be his work and creature. Or, because sin is the devil's work, Satan would be the creator of our nature, of our body and soul. They would also have to be Satan's work or creation if, without any distinction, our corrupt nature was thought of to be sin itself. Both of these teachings are contrary to the article of our Christian faith. Therefore, in order that God's creation and work in mankind may be distinguished from the devil's work, we say that it is God's creation that a person has body and soul. Also, it is God's work that a person can think, speak, do, and work anything. For in him we live and move and have our being, Acts 17.28. But human nature is corrupt. Its thoughts, words, and works are wicked. This is originally Satan's work, who has corrupted God's work in Adam through sin. From Adam, sin is passed down to us by inheritance, Romans 5.12. This is where we have to look really hard at this, because if original sin and human nature are the same thing, then either God created sin, which means he forced us to sin, or that God no longer works in the world and only Satan works in the world. Neither one of these fit what the scripture says. And we, so we also have to go with what Paul says in Romans 5 as talking about sin being passed down by inheritance. This is what God has to work with. I mean, he has only the corrupt human nature to create more humans out of. 
but he does not cast that aside and start over again, as he could just easily wipe off all of creation, send him to hell. But no, we go back to paragraph 39. He forms and makes the present human nature from it in order that he may cleanse it from all sin, sanctify and save it by his dear son. If we talk about human nature and original sin being the same thing, Jesus does absolutely nothing for us. Because if he came and did not sin, he is not one of us. We pick up in paragraph 43. Second, in the article of redemption, the scriptures testify forcefully that God's Son received our human nature without sin. So he wasn't always sin excluded, made like us, his brethren. Hebrews 2, 14 to 17. Therefore, all the old Orthodox teachers have maintained that Christ, according to his received humanity, is of one essence with us, his brothers. For he has received his human nature, which in all respects, sin alone excluded, is like our human nature in its essence and all essential attributes. They have condemned the contrary doctrine as obvious heresy. If there were no distinction between the nature or essence of the corrupt mankind and original sin, one of the following must be true. Christ did not receive our nature because he did not receive sin. Or because Christ received our nature, he also received sin. Both of these ideas are contrary to the scriptures. God's Son received our nature and not original sin. Therefore, it is clear from this fact that human nature, even since the fall and original sin, are not one and the same thing. They must be distinguished. So again, as I was just saying, feeding from the first argument to the second one, that Christ is of no use for us if he did not get our nature. And if our nature is sin itself, then Jesus was full of sin, which goes contrary to everything the scripture says about Jesus and our redemption. Now we move from creation through redemption. Now we get into sanctification in paragraph 45. Third, in the article of sanctification, scripture testifies that God cleanses, washes, and sanctifies mankind from sin. 1 Corinthians 6.11 and 1 John 1.7, and that Christ saves his people from their sins, Matthew 1.21. Sin, therefore, cannot be a person himself, for God receives a person into grace for Christ's sake, but God remains hostile to sin eternally. Therefore, it is unchristian and horrible to hear that original sin is baptized in the name of the Holy Trinity, sanctified and saved, and other similar expressions found in the writings of the recent Manichaeans. We will not offend simple-minded people with further examples. So if God washes, cleanses, and sanctifies man, but if man is sin, God is sanctifying sin, which God cannot do because God is eternally hostile to sin. Now we go into the other big thing, the article on the resurrection, starting in paragraph 46. Fourth, in the article of the resurrection, Scripture testifies that precisely the substance of our flesh, but without sin, will rise again. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42, 54 to 57. In eternal life, we shall have and keep precisely this soul, but without sin. If there was no difference at all between our corrupt body and soul and original sin, one of the following would be true, contrary to this article of Christian faith. Our flesh will not rise again at the last day, and in eternal life we shall not have the present essence of our body and soul, but another substance or another soul, because then we shall be without sin. Or at the last day sin will also rise again, and will be and remain in the elect in eternal life. Now we think about it in terms of the resurrection. If man's 
human nature and original sin are one and the same thing, then either we get something completely different when we rise from the dead, or we are raised for eternal life as sinners. And that is exactly opposite of what the Bible teaches about the resurrection on the last day. So he ends up this section in paragraphs 48 and 49. It is clear that this teaching, with all that depends on it and follows from it, must be rejected. For it is asserted and taught that original sin is the nature, substance, essence, body, or soul itself of corrupt mankind. It is taught that between our corrupt nature, substance, and essence, and original sin, there is no distinction whatever. For the chief articles of our Christian faith forcefully and emphatically testify why a distinction should and must be maintained between mankind's nature or substance, which is corrupted by sin, and the sin with which and by which mankind is corrupted. A simple statement of the doctrine and the contrary teaching in theses and antitheses in this controversy is enough in this place for the chief issue itself. The subject is not argued at length, but only the principal points are treated article by article. So as we have these four articles, the four most basic understanding of the Christian faith, creation, redemption, sanctification, and the resurrection, all of these things are completely flipped on their head and null and void for us if we maintain that the corrupt human nature and original sin are one and the same thing and do not maintain the distinction between the two, even though we can't physically point it out. For the rest of the article, Chemnitz and the rest of the Concordus go over some of the terms and expressions that are used, again, in kind of a quick, rapid format. Beginning in paragraph 50. For terms and expressions, it is best and safest and to use and retain the form of sound words used about this article in the Holy Scriptures and the above-mentioned books. To avoid arguments about words and expressions which are applied and used in various senses, they should be carefully and distinctly explained. For example, it is said that God creates the nature of people. By the term nature, the essence, body, and soul of people are understood. But often the character or disposition of a thing is called its nature. For example, it is said that it is the nature of the serpent to bite and poison. In a similar way, Luther says that sin and sinning are the character and nature of corrupt mankind. So nature, when we talk about nature in this topic, we talk about the essence, the body and soul of people. What makes human beings human beings, as opposed to chimpanzees and snakes and birds and all the other creatures. Going on, original sin properly means the deep corruption of our nature, as it is described in the small called articles. But sometimes the concrete person or the subject, that is, the person himself with body and soul in which sin is and dwells, is also included under this term because a person is corrupted by sin, poisoned, and sinful. For example, Luther says, your birth, your nature, and your entire essence is sin, that is, sinful and unclean. Luther himself explains this by nature sin, person sin, and essential sin. He means that only, not only the words, thoughts, and works are sin, but that the entire nature, person, and essence of a person are altogether corrupted from the root by original sin. When we talk about nature sin, or person sin, or essential sin, it is not that they are the things that make up the nature or the essence. It is what is corrupting that. Yes, we are by nature sinful and unclean. We accept that. We acknowledge that. We confess that in our confession of sins. But that is not going and saying that 
Everything that is us, everything that makes us human is sin. Paragraph 54. A congregation of ordinary people ought to be spared the Latin word substantia and accidents in public sermons, for they are unknown to ordinary people. But learned people among themselves, or with others to whom these words are not unknown, may use such terms in discussing the subject, as Eusebius, Ambrose, and especially Augustine, and also still other eminent church teachers have done. For these terms were necessary to explain this doctrine in opposition to the heretics. The terms assume a division that has no middle ground. So everything that exists must either be substantia, that is a self-existent essence, or accidents, an outward thing that does not exist by itself essentially, but is in another self-existent essence and can be distinguished from it. Cyril and Basil also use this distinction. Among others, the following is a sure, indisputable axiom in theology. Every substantia or self-existing essence, so long as it is a substance, is either God himself or God's work in creation. In many writings against the Manichaeans in common with all true teachers, Augustine has condemned and rejected the following statement after due consideration and with seriousness, original sin is man's nature or substance. Like Augustine, all the learned and intelligent have also always maintained when something does not exist by itself, it is not a part of another self-existing essence, but exists subject to change is another thing. It is not a substantia. That is, it is not something self-existing. Instead, it is an accident. That is, it is something accidental. So Augustine is accustomed to speak in this way constantly. Original sin is not human nature itself, but an accidental defect and damage in the human nature. Before this controversy, people spoke in this way. Also in our schools and churches, according to the rules of logic, freely and without being suspected of heresy. They were never condemned on this account either by Dr. Luther or any orthodox teacher of our pure evangelical churches. So, substantia substance. This is something that exists in and of itself. Accident, which we get the word accident, which has absolutely nothing to do with the original Latin meaning, as our English meaning does now, is anything that is a byproduct of that. Anything that exists in that other substance, but just is used to differentiate it from other alike substance. Uh, like accidental would be whether you have brown hair or blonde hair or blue eyes or green eyes, whether you are six foot eight or four foot three. Those are all accidents in this understanding, which is why these words should be kept out of public sermons for the lay people because when we think accident, we think of an accident, whether a car accident or accidentally hitting somebody or something like that. That is not what is being talked about in this argument. So we get all kinds of ideas and all kinds of craziness going on because people have other meanings for these words. And we want to make sure everything that we use is exactly what we need it to be and what it means for us and for our hearers. And we must also go back to the idea that, yes, everything that exists is either God or God's creation. There is nothing else in this world, in this universe. Picking up in paragraph 57, it is the indisputable truth that everything that is, is either a substance or an accident that is a self-existing essence or something accidental in it. 
This has just been shown and proven by testimonies of the church teachers. No truly intelligent person has ever had any doubts about this. Therefore, necessity constrains here, and no one can avoid it. If the question is asked whether original sin is a substance that is something existing by itself and not in something else, or whether it is a non-essential quality that is something not existing by itself but in another, one must confess directly and firmly that original sin is no substance but an accident, a non-essential quality. For this reason, too, God's church will never be able to have permanent peace in this controversy. But instead, the dissension will still grow stronger and continue if the church's ministers remain in doubt about whether original sin is a substance or an accident, whether it is rightly and properly named so. If the churches and schools are to be thoroughly relieved of the scandalous and very mischievous controversy, it is necessary that everyone be properly instructed about this matter. So we must truly have an understanding of what words we are using and how we are using them. But if it is further asked what kind of accident or non-essential quality original sin is, that is another question. No philosopher, no papist, no sophist, indeed no human reason, however sharp it may be, can give the right explanation of this. All understanding and every explanation of it must be derived solely from the Holy Scriptures. They testify that original sin is an unspeakable evil and such an entire corruption of human nature that in it and all its inward and outward powers, nothing pure or good remains. Everything is entirely corrupt, so that because of original sin, a person is truly spiritually dead in God's sight. Ephesians 2.5 All a person's powers are dead to what is good. In this way, then, original sin is not weakened by the word accident. It is explained according to God's word, the way Dr. Luther has written with great seriousness against the weakening of original sin in his Latin exposition of Genesis 3. Accident, a non-essential quality, serves only to show the distinction between God's work, which our nature is, even though it is corrupt, and the devil's work, the sin that dwells in God's work and is the most profound and indescribable corruption of it. Luther, in his treatment of this subject, has used the term accident and also the term quality and has not rejected them. But at the same time, he has, with special seriousness and great zeal, taken the greatest pains to explain and to impress upon every single reader what a horrible quality an accident is. For by it, human nature is not merely polluted, but is so deeply corrupted that nothing pure or incorrupt has remained in it. His words on Psalm 90 show this. Whether we call original sin a quality or a disease, it is indeed the, the utmost evil that we are not only to suffer God's eternal wrath and eternal death, but that we do not even understand what we suffer. And again, on Genesis 3, he writes, We are infected with the poison of original sin from the bottom of the foot to the top of the head, because this happened to us in a still perfect nature. Why is it that original sin has so absolutely corrupted human nature? because it was brought in to an absolutely perfect human nature and therefore brought about all of the fall of man, brought about all of the sin that is in this world. This is how deep a corruption this is. This is how inexplainable this corruption is. We can't quantify it. We can only qualify it in the ways that God has given to us in the Holy Word. And that is what infuriates most people outside of, especially the Lutheran and the Catholics, about original sin. Those who believe in believer's baptism, that you must be able to come to the age of reason. And before that, I mean, nothing counts. I'm sorry. That's not the way they do it in their own families. 
Why would the church be any different? But I digress because that can go on to be another whole 25-minute podcast right there, or even longer. But original sin is that ultimate corruption of the human nature that makes us completely unable to follow God's commands, to love God with all of our heart. And that is where we begin our understanding of the formula of Concord with that most basic doctrine that if we get this wrong, so much else is wrong in our teachings. And we'll see that as we go on and build more puzzle pieces onto this going through the formula of Concord. But until then, this is Pastor Doug Minton. Thanking you for standing in the confessional corner with me this week. Next week, we get into Article 2 on free will, because that's the next thing that comes up after original sin is, does humanity have a free will, or is it bound? We'll get to that next week. But until then, I thank you for being here. I encourage you to dig deeper into Revelation with me, as well as the moment of meditation and all the things that are going on with the Wrestling With Theology podcast. I encourage you to give me feedback, wrestlingwiththeology at gmail.com, or follow and comment on Facebook at Wrestling With Theology. I pray that this week, the study of the original sin, the corruption that is in our nature, truly strengthens you to wrestle with the theology that is around you, but most importantly, the theology that comes from within you. Amen.